One Week Season. WS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. Hilo here bringing you the third installment of the Best Paul Theory podcast. You know the drill. We cut down, break down the nuts and the bolts of theory, game theory, draft theory, uh, roster construction theory, all the theories uh, here. We want to give you guys an inside edge to profitable best ball drafting. We are not going to belabor anything. No fancy intros this week. I'm going to bring them right in. My man, you know him. You've seen him around. You've heard him with me. That is the best ball aficionado, the NBA player extraordinaire, Pavel. How we doing, brother? Hilo, how we doing? It's been too long. <laughs> what is up, my dude? Feels great to be back. <laughs> I've uh, been hitting it hard already. For Just- sure, man. Uh, I've been a little tired. I'm a little tired after that. Uh, the super flex puppy. It's a little more t- like mentally taxing doing a super flex draft than you would think it would, but it was, wow. What a great time it's been so far. Yeah, dude. Uh, you, you've got to be, I've been following you. You've got to be like two, 300 drafts in at this point, right? Yeah, definitely more than that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no deers have been, have been slaughtered by your vehicle recently. Is that good? No, the only thing, the only deer that have been, in my life is the Colorado Avalanche, man. Wow. Thought the lightning were going to take it. <laughs> That's right, dude. You were actually at the, uh, the clinching game, weren't you? Yeah. It was pretty cool to see though. So that yeah, was that's cool. That was neat. Well, cool, man. We're going to go over some stuff. This pod, we're going to talk about some arbitrage drafting. If you don't know what that is, we will go in depth. We're going to talk about a little bit of the nuts and bolts of the anatomy of roster construction talk about some news cycle and how it affects us in this early draft window. We're going back to the well here with the disproportionate upside talk. That's a high-low special because since we last talked and just in the last week, and if you caught that podcast that I did with Todd on Sunday, even since then, uh, we have some new disproportionate upside targets here, and we'll talk about those. Uh, And then we're going to get into another thing that I brought up uh, on that podcast with Todd on Sunday. And that's this idea of secondary stats, stacks and correlations. Uh, So that's going to do it for us. For today, we're going to jump right into it, dude. I want to talk this idea of arbitrage drafting. What the hell does that mean? Well, for those betters in the crowd, uh, those wagerers probably know what arbitrage means. But it's this idea of somewhat of a hedge where you're basically free rolling. How the hell does that relate to best ball? Well, we have multiple sites now that are providing these contests, and we have multiple sets of ADP. So what does that mean? Well, that's taking higher exposures on guys on platforms where the ADPs are a little bit more more lenient. That said, I know you're hitting DraftKings. I know you're hitting uh, Underdog. We're going to stick to those two platforms because those are where the major money contests are at. Obviously, you have um, the other contests that are available, but we're going to stick to those for this discussion. <sighs> that said, Pavel, what are your... Well, and I want to... Sorry, I'm going to preface this also with... I want to stick to, first of all, guys, in the first five rounds because that is really the 
the money rounds. I extend that personally to about the top seven rounds, but we're going to stick for this discussion with players in the top five rounds. Are there any guys in the top five rounds that you are targeting heavier on either DraftKings or Underdog? Oh, yeah. there's. I'm just actually pulling it up right now. My uh, computer crashed right as I was pulling it up, so give me one sec. But yeah, the fifth round, right around, if we could extend it just a little bit. Okay. There, there's, there's this whole set of wide receivers that I feel, we always have that like, fifth to sixth round breakouts that end up being like first round picks the next year. Like you've had yeah. uh, Stefan Diggs, you've had CD Lamb. Well, CD Lamb was a little higher last year. There wasn't a uh, Cooper cup. Cooper cup was the one. He was like at the three, four turn cup and Jamar chase. Yeah. Yeah. And chase chase fell to the fifth, six. So there's mm-hmm. this hot spot of fifth, six round wide receivers that can all put up wide receiver. One numbers, Gabe mm-hmm. Davis, Bateman cooks, Juju, everyone who's Juju, but man, he's arguably the number one wide receiver on the Chiefs. Mooney, Amari there Cooper somehow. I don't know what his price is. Yeah, DK Metcalf. The list goes on. Man. Exactly, DK Metcalf. Drake. I I like it all the way down past like Drake London to Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is probably like a tear break for me. But then you still have like Christian Kirk hidden down there. Who like the market still doesn't understand Christian Kirk. So like that that's a sweet spot right there where you can just load up on these wide receiver one, um, breakouts. Yeah, so a lot of these guys that we're talking about um, are obviously more valuable on one platform or the other. Why is that? Because Underdog is 0.5 PPR and DraftKings is full PPR. So there's very, um, we'll say, guys that make sense where they are valued differently per platform. There are a couple guys that don't, that really stick out to me personally. Um, you know, and when I'm talking about, I'm talking about guys like, um, Travis Etienne, who is, uh, what is he on DraftKings? He is 33 overall and on underdog, he's like 39 to 42, somewhere in there, um, overall. So that makes sense, right? Because we're expecting him to be pretty heavily involved in the pass game. Um, in and that's just going to keep rising. So, yeah. yeah, but there's, so what I'm getting at is there's guys that it makes sense where there's an ADP discrepancy based on the scoring format. There's very glaring examples of guys where it's it's almost ass backwards. And I, I say that in the most blunt way possible, but I want to talk about Derrick Henry real quick. He jumps off the page to me, and, and you might be thinking I'm going to preface this, this discussion too because it's like a difference of two ADP spots, but like that's two first-round ADP spots. And He's he's going higher on DraftKings where it's full point PPR uh, compared to Underdog where it's half PPR and that is completely backwards. So when you start seeing these discrepancies, the first thing I do is ask myself like, does it make sense? Travis Etienne is the example we used earlier. Yeah, that makes sense. Like he is valued higher on a full PPR site. Derrick Henry is going about ADP of six on DraftKings and he's going about ADP of eight on underdog. And that is something where, (laughs) yeah, that is something where you can look to take advantage of. And this idea of arbitrage drafting, I am not high on Derrick Henry, but any exposure that I get to Derrick Henry this season is going to be on underdog one, because he's better suited for that scoring format. And two, because the ADP discrepancy is completely backwards are there any other guys like in those top five six rounds that you're seeing 
that kind of fit that build where, you know, it, it makes more sense to be targeting on one of these platforms versus the other. Oh yeah. Right away. When you just start your draft, Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase, how do you, <laughs> I, how do you take Cooper cup second? How do you really take chase and Jefferson at four or five? I understand they're incredible players, but that's half PPR say on drafting. totally, I love the price there. I'll, I'll definitely pay it there. And I mean, ADP kind of dictates where you are, but I'm not overly heavy on such players. Um, Another one where I kind of like it a little bit more on underdog is like Nick Chubb. Although I really do love Nick Chubb in the third round regardless, but on underdog, he's a much better pick there because of the half PPR. Plus, he doesn't catch passes ever, and they don't really want him to catch passes. So like I can see like a justification of like passing over him and going like Javante Williams or taking a shot at like a Camara suspension, hoping uh, Camara doesn't get suspended over Chubb on like one of on DraftKings, especially with the PPR for Camara. Yeah, man, we will get to Kamara uh, <laughs> a little bit later because that is a, a definitely a player that falls into another topic that we're going to cover as well. Um, another example of kind of what we're talking about here um, is a guy like James Conner. Uh, James Conner went berserk last year, scored, what was it, 16, 18 touchdowns? I'd have to look it up exactly what the number was, but scored like a buttload of touchdowns. He's currently going 32 on DraftKings. Um, and then you look at uh, Underdog, and he's currently going 33. So he's going later on a half PPR site, which again is kind of backwards here. Yeah. And <laughs> again, these are like, these are small discrepancies. But if you think about this from like how we would approach arbitrage from, a betting perspective. And again, this isn't like a, a betting, but this is like just to highlight what we're talking about here. If you think about it from like a betting sense, you are looking for any edge that you can find when you're wagering because the margin of expected value that you are hunting for every edge possible. And like these onesie twosies, um, ADP when it's backwards per the scoring format, I mean, that's a pretty big deal to where, I am comfortable, like completely, you know, I don't like to use the word fade because it's really, it's, it's, it plays into this like binary mentality where I I'm trying to like get listeners and get subs away from, like, I, I don't want us to be thinking binary where it's like, you have to choose a side, but like, this is a different process that arises or uh, that leads us to this line of thinking where if I'm getting any James Conner exposure, if I'm getting any Derek Henry exposure, it's going to be on underdog where touchdowns are more valuable per the scoring format. Uh, so and he doesn't catch passes. Yeah. I mean, they catch passes, but it's not like any world beating. I mean, it's like or, a pass per game that doesn't really change anything yeah, for, your, for your first round pick. It's not like Alvin Kamara where he is going 18th overall on DraftKings and he's going, um, 26th overall on yeah, underdog exactly. like that that disparity travis Etienne's disparity those make sense per the scoring format this is um, a little further out sky moore is another one i won't touch him on underdog but on DraftKings, i'll dabble at that price yeah Easy. so yeah that's kind of what we're talking about here with arbitrage drafting is making sure that where you're getting 
your exposure to players that fit certain scoring settings better, um, make sure that it makes sense. Um, and that's, those are just a couple examples. We're not going to cover all of them. Um, and again, I just wanted to keep that into players in the first five rounds, but that extends like infinitely, you know, deep into the draft, however far you want to go. Just make sure that it makes sense per the scoring format where you're getting your exposure. Because again, we want to be thinking about our exposure from um, the sense of our portfolio as a whole. And if you include these different platforms, that just expands your portfolio and gives you greater um, freedom with how you're building leverage, how you're managing variants, all that stuff that we've talked about previously. Uh, any closing remarks on arbitrage drafting? I think we covered it pretty uh, intently there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one thing I would probably say is if you switch the ADPs on DraftKings and Underdog, it would make more sense. Well, with yeah, with, with the guys <laughs> that we covered, for sure. Yeah, um, even in general. I feel like wide receivers are really steamed on Underdog. Yes, for sure. And you can really, you really like on DraftKings when you're building, you want to really start like really wide uh, uh, running back heavy because you could really, you know, catch some really nice uh, wide receivers in the mid rounds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, man, I dig it. We are steaming along. Next thing we're going to talk about is kind of this idea of the anatomy of roster construction. What do we mean by that? Well, when you are approaching drafts utilizing differing roster constructions, there's obviously going to be theoretical optimal ways to approach that. If we are going, you know, and again, I don't like labels um, because I think that it restricts your mind into something that has been done already. But for the purpose of this discussion, um, we'll talk, you know, as an example, we'll say hyper fragile running back. If you're talking to high low, we know that extends into like three running back builds, uh, which none of the field is doing. And we've covered why I think that is plus AV endeavor previous podcast, but for the example of the anatomy of roster construction, if you're going hyper fragile running back, there are very specific running backs where we're going to want to be targeting in that type of build, you know, on the opposite end of that spectrum, if you are going hero running back where, you know, you're taking a running back early and then you're not taking another running back until, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th, double digit rounds, there are certain running backs that fit that mold as well. So as you have made it through these multiple hundreds of drafts, I want you to kind of lead us off here in this discussion of anatomy of roster construction, and we'll just kind of explore the space and see where it takes us. Yeah. So first things first is one thing I see with a lot of new players is they just get stuck on drafting one type of style. There's zero RB or, you know, um, hyper fragile, you know, whatever, what have you, what you want to do is you really want to let the early draft dictate how you're going to draft. You don't yes, want to just, you don't want to always have a set strategy because you never know how the draft's going to go. There's going to be situations where, you know, you end up in a room where the room is extremely wide receiver heavy and you're going to have a, you know, an Aaron Jones or someone fall into the third round. That kind of dictates how your team's going to be. If you're super strong early in the running backs, you're going to want to shy away from there, that position and start, you know, rounding out your roster in other places. 
you really want to take like a zero holes approach. You're not going to win a contest. You know, if you look at the end of your roster, be like, oh, you know, my wide receivers will cover my bad tight end. Then you've already lost most likely. Obviously anything can happen, but you don't, you want to have well-rounded teams with upside at each position. You don't want to neglect a position at all. And so what, you know, like one thing I noticed as well, and I've caught myself doing is let's say I start with like, three straight running backs. And then I have a David Montgomery who falls like 20 ADP positions or not, let's not say 20, let's say like 10 spots, like a full round. I I'm tempted to take the value, but at some point it, it, it hurts. It doesn't really help my team. I need to strengthen other positions at that point. So, you know, the optimal thing to, to do is either take a wide receiver or a tight end there or another quarterback instead of taking the fourth running back when I already am so strong with that position. Yeah, man, that goes, uh, that ties into, uh, we were talking before this podcast, how I just kind of make up metrics and stats and it's, it's it become like a passion of mine is, is exploring the space from an analyst perspective. Uh, in that Saturday podcast, there were multiple, or sorry, Sunday podcast I did with Todd. And if you haven't checked that out, check out, um, best ball NFL, obviously Todd Burroughs, uh, Twitter feed. Um, you can find that, uh, it was live streamed on YouTube. But one of the things that we discussed was this idea of dynamic draft theory. And I explained that as you, the player valuations, and this is like from the sense of ADP, your player valuations change based on what you have selected on a roster. And that goes, that is like from round one all the way up to round 18, because you have to envision each draft pick as a decision point or a node on a basically on a decision making matrix which you can picture as like a decision tree so if you if each node leads you to a different section of that full tree which has this infinite combinations of potential possibilities because it's basically 18 factorial right so it, there's all these infinite like actual combinations and combinations. That's, why call, that's why we call best ball and DFS and, and fantasy football a combinatorial game because there's this borderline infinite combinations. So if you if you picture it that way, then that also means that player valuations will change based on what I have selected on my roster and I feel like there's this tendency to be a little bit more married to ADP and be afraid to, for example, pass on a running back that has fallen, you know, 12 spots past ADP in the sixth round when you already have like three anchor running backs. Right. So that's a, that's a very specific example, but if you blow that up into like a theoretical draft theory sense, like it applies to every decision that you make in a draft and it just ties back into roster construction and um, what we're trying to do when we're filling out a, a roster that everybody is playing by the same prescribed rules, right? If you're on underdog, everybody gets 18 picks. If you're on DraftKings, like everybody gets 20 picks. So we're confined and constrained, but if we break out of how the field is, is thinking about, putting together a roster, which obviously is the idea of roster construction, then it, it allows you greater freedom and flexibility to fill out those 18 spots. An example that I've used in the past, and, and we covered this 
in episode one of this series with John Warner was this idea of three running back builds. The field is not doing that. I can, I can 100% guarantee you that like me, John Warner and like the listeners of that podcast are like the only people in the field building three running back rosters. Why do we do that? Like it, one, it's an easy differentiator Two, like it, it goes into this idea of anatomy of roster construction. If we have these like three ball or running backs that we've taken in the first five rounds, or even like some of these guys that we've talked about earlier, like Rashad Penny, like his crazy wide range of outcomes, disproportionate upside. We'll talk about that here shortly again. Uh, Chase Edmonds, like these guys that, that have these massively wide range of outcomes, like they could finish anywhere from like RB fours to like RB ones, like legitimately that is within their range of outcomes. So if you build that into this idea of, um, dynamic draft theory and an anatomy of roster construction, it, it feels a bit freeing that it breaks you from the shackles of, of things that are being done by the field. Like I see all the time I'm in a draft, like somebody will take three running backs early uh, within the first five rounds and they'll still fill out five or six running backs. It's like, yeah. well, that completely limits your upside, man. Um, so again, tying that whole discussion, like back into this idea of anatomy of roster construction, how your roster. And I love, I'm going to go back to and come full circle here, go back to the way that you described it is like, you want to be solid at every position but that doesn't have to be through the lens of something that has been done in the past. What I mean by that is like the example I've used in the past is on underdog, you only have to start two running backs. If you're taking three in the first five rounds, why would you want to force yourself into something that's been done and being done by the field in taking five and six running backs still, you can reserve that upside and spread it to the other positions and look for those spike weeks at other positions because we know that you only have to play two running backs. So there's a lot that goes into that. There's so much theory and and it's such a dynamic situation, but one of the skills of a winning best ball player. And I think this is probably where the field is getting to, but they're not there yet. So it's still an edge that we can gain is identifying And again, this is something that you brought up earlier, identifying like where those first five to seven rounds, those money rounds in a best ball draft are taking your roster and exploring the space and making optimal decisions with the rest of your picks to provide the maximum theoretical upside on that roster. That was a whole hell of a lot, dude. I am tired of talking. (laughs) Uh, what else you got with your, you know, your exploration of roster construction through the lens of, you know, drafting theory, what else, what other mistakes are you seeing made by the field? Yeah. Uh, before I go into that, I just wanted to like touch on one point. So you're talking about the three running back build. I, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm a little more risk averse to take three running backs. Yeah. 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 I'm a big, big fan of doing the four running back build where I'll start with three in the first five, but then I'll take my fourth, but I'll take it in that sweet spot. I feel like this year there's this great sweet spot in the ninth to Mm -hmm. 12th round. You already touched on a couple guys, Mm -hmm. Rashad Penny, Melvin Gordon. I know you don't 
not a huge fan. <laughs> we we do can not do a whole say deba- his name until but he comes can... on the podcast. Then we're, yeah. we're not going to talk about him anymore. No, <laughs> but yeah, Melvin Gordon, Chase Edmonds, even Ramondre. I'm not a, the biggest Ramondre guy, but I can see yeah. it. Yeah. So yep. like that whole zone there of the guys like love taking one of those as a fourth or like a Kenny Gainwell. Like that's a perfect pick for my fourth. That's where I like to do it. Cause like, what if one of your guys gets hurt through the season? You inevitably they're gonna miss games, but you want to at least give yourself like a shot at like one of those breakout guys. Um, yeah. So go ahead. I'm gonna save that. Uh I'm gonna shelf that. You continue, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and then I was just actually gonna start moving on to the, you know, next thing is uh so there's been some really great research I've read that I found that taking two QBs in this theoretical QB window, which is between rounds, I think it's six to 11, no, six to 10, something like that. I don't have it in front of me right now. Mm -hmm. And essentially it's from just about Kyler Murray until Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers, if you want to push that far, where Mm -hmm. you, if you get two of these quarterbacks, your win rate is almost probably is the best win rate there is. And essentially, if you think about it, it makes sense. I saw another stat recently that it was like 30 out of 36 QB one, the the performances of 35 points or more or 30 points or more. It was all pretty much uh, early round wide receivers. They have the highest upside. The best offenses have the best quarterbacks. It's all that price is just, you know, you're not paying like a second, third round price for, you know, Josh Allen, but you're getting that same upside all the way up until the 10th round. And you can stopping at two quarterbacks is such a huge advantage because you open up that roster spot on another position. And for me, that's one big thing that I really focus on is trying to get, you know, two quarterbacks in the quarterback window. And I love the elite tight end strategy because not only do you get, you know, the highest upside players at those positions, but it also opens up positions for extra wide receivers or running backs. And that's what, how I like to build. I, I like to stay flexible and then find what position I'm weakest weakest at and then hammer that later in the draft with upside. So for me, I ideally would like to get running back done by like the fifth, 14th, 15th round, like right where Kenny Gainwell goes, Daryl Williams goes. I want to stop by there and have my fifth or sixth there and then take wide receivers all the way throughout and just, you know, capitalize on upside, build st- secondary stacks on my team or pairings. And that's how, you know, I ideally would like to build. Um, the winning rates on two elite tight end builds and two tight end elite tight end builds is also, I think, around 13%. So these are, you know, effective winning strategies and just doing these small tweaks to your drafting, you know, can help you, you know, build, you, you know, obviously you have your own unique perspective, build unique rosters, but also winning unique rosters. Yeah, there was a couple of things uh, in what you said just now that I want to one reiterate and two expand upon um, the idea of the sweet what what did you call it the the quarterback window yeah so six yeah yeah it's, it's a term that I found that uh, I can't I think it's yeah, yeah Sean so, Seigaus yeah it's Sean Seigaus term he basically calls it the quarterback window and I love that term because it's just this window of quarterbacks to grab from yeah so what I think one of my greater strengths in best ball drafting is quarterback valuation. Uh, you know, last year I had 40% of Jalen Hurts 
it was just like this dude is a cheat Easiest code pick and, ever. Yeah. yeah, this dude. <laughs> yeah. So like, what are the potential cheat codes this year that are the the later than quarterback window quarterbacks that I've been targeting? Like, obviously the the penultimate example of that is Justin Fields, who is available in the 11th, 12th rounds. Most times coming off the board somewhere around quarterback 15 to 17, depending on platform. So you're getting this guy as like a mid range quarterback too. And he just brings the, he's the latest guy. I'll I'll phrase it like this. He is the latest guy that gives you that potential Konami cheat code. uh, Like what the hell is the word? Like mold or, um, it's, it's it's really simple. He runs. If you're a quarterback that runs, you have huge upside. I love Justin Fields. People think he sucks. Yeah. Love him even more. It's literally Justin Hurts situation all over again. The guy can run the ball, and now he has a new coaching staff that's really invested in him. I mean, there's a lot of positives there. Could he not work out? Sure, but the dude runs. He could be. Do you think he's ba- as bad as uh, what's his name that lost ju- lost his job to Justin Herbert? Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod? Yeah. Yeah. It, Tyrod, people were drafting him last year because, or the year he was going to be the Chargers quarterback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No one knew Herbert was going to be good because he runs the ball. Just having that running floor makes you have at least, you know, QB2 upside. And he's getting, he's priced at a QB, lower end QB2, right? Or mid end QB2. Yeah. So he is my highest owned quarterback currently. Um, I don't see that changing as long as I can get him as a mid to low end QB two in the like 12th round of drafts. Like, I'm just going to keep hammering that. Like, uh, I guess he's going in the 11th. Um, you know, he has an ADP on underdog of about 124. Oh, he's uh, come so, up a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, yeah, I was taking him all, you know, 136, uh, all, and I've been writing him up a full round, uh, just because he is the like penultimate example of disproportionate upside at the quarterback position that we're going to talk about here. Um, in a little bit as well. Um, the other guy that kind of fits the mold of potential disproportionate upside. And again, I say potential because like, we don't know how this is going to play out, but we're doing the best that we can with the information that we can and making, you know, putting our money where our mouth is type idea. Um, and that's <laughs> Daniel Jones <laughs> at, uh, you know, he has in, in New York. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Stick with me here. He's got Brian Dabble coming to town as the head coach. Obviously we know, um, dabble is one of the most, I'll call it intuitive offensive designers in the league in the sense that he is very good at designing an offense to maximize the talent that he has on the roster. You could argue, you could argue with a wall <laughs> for all I care about the talent that is available on New York, uh, giants, but they have Kadarius, Tony, they have Wandell Moore who each ranked in the top 12, of all wide receivers to come out of the college game over the last five years in yards after catch per reception. Like that's, that's a big deal, right? That's additional upside for your quarterback. Daniel Jones also, you know, a potential rushing upside to the table. I, I have fallen into this trap and uh, like immediately when somebody mentions Daniel Jones, I just picture the gif of him tripping over his own feet as he's, you know, in, open field running to the end zone, uh, that happened two years ago, uh, where he was like, you know what I'm talking about where he's, yeah, run, oh, he's running me, and trips over himself. Yeah, dude. So that immediately is what comes to mind. But if that immediately comes to my mind as a like 
theoretical and open-minded thinker. Like I know that's immediately what comes to mind to the rest of the field. So this is a guy that he just offers this idea of disproportionate upside. He offers more upside than where he is being taken. Um, and he's a guy that I've been targeting heavier of late filling out that quarterback two role on my rosters, which feels entirely too uncomfortable, right? Like it does not feel comfortable leaving a draft with two quarterbacks and Daniel Jones being one of them. But if he's a guy where if he hits, he's going to hit hard. And that is a bet that I want to be making. So I, I totally agree. A majority of my drafts, um, I'm typically have at least one of the top five quarterbacks. Uh, and my kind of cutoff, I guess top six, because Jalen Hurts is being taken as quarterback six currently. Um, but like, one of those top guys that offers rushing ups upside, like obviously Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, um, Lamar Jackson, uh, and then depending on the scoring format, you you get into the guys who are more pure passers, like Patrick Mahomes and and Justin Herbert and stuff like that. But like, I'm typically leaving a draft with at least one of those guys. Uh, I'm typically not taking two of them, but I, I'm typically the back end of where I'm taking my second quarterback is the Justin Fields range. Um, I'm huge on Kirk cousins, obviously in Minnesota, I've talked about what is new and different and exciting about that situation previously. So I won't belabor that, but like, um, Kirk I cousins am, has been a QB one for like four straight years. I mean, yeah. And now how, he how gets, are people not caught on and now they're going to throw more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now he gets a, a former quarterback who is a quarterback whisperer head coach, uh, or as a head coach, I'll say, uh, in O'Connell, but yeah, we won't belabor that. That is a guy I'm loving as well. I'm um, out on Daniel Jones. I oh, want to share. Yeah. Take, Oh, take two for me. Double that exposure. It doesn't matter. Who's <laughs> coaches. Like he, he, not only is he like, ineffective he can't throw a deep ball he can't he can't stay on the field he's injury prone nah, that's not what i'm investing in and then i as you we were like talking about fields like i probably have so many kyler fields teams because i think mm-hmm. it's like the perfect pairing mm-hmm. uh, i love 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 that pairing and let me throw one more guy into the mix i don't have him too much in best ball mania but he's my highest on quarterback in the super flex that's mac jones man the reports are looking good he's throwing deep balls They've invested in the certain type of player that is conducive to throwing deep balls. Devontae Parker, what is he good at? Um, what is his name that they draft in the second round? Tyrell Torton. Mm-hmm. I can, I mean, that guy can fly. They're building a certain type of thing, and I can literally just see it. It's going to be one of those run the ball, run the ball, play action bot. Like, Mag Jones, I think, is going to surprise people. It's interesting that you bring up the Patriots. This is not an offense that I've been buying too far into but if you think about like how or i guess the identity of the bill belichick offenses that have like absolutely crushed over the years like the one that comes to mind like right away is like when they had randy moss and wes welker it's like this field stretcher and this underneath guy like what do they have now they have this body control perimeter wide receiver in um Devontae parker they have a guy who can win in the first five yards slot man in jacoby or wait what the hell is his name yeah jacoby um myers and then they just drafted this field stretcher so 
you start to and think like, what don't are they? forget Kendrick Bourne. <laughs> yeah. Like there are options. And then you have Hunter Henry in the red zone, who's probably one of the most effective tight ends in the red zone. So, wow. That is a very interesting point that I had not really, I guess, to in depth, this idea of like, they have the pieces that they've been looking for now. That's interesting. Yeah. I like that. If you just see how they've built that team, there's specific, like there's specific weapons there. And I love the fluff of, Oh, we don't know offensive coordinator is going to be. Don't disparage Belichick. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. The, <laughs> the dude won championships with Bill O'Brien as for us. So <laughs> he can do it. He can do it. Uh, anyway. Um, I like it, dude. Uh, anatomy of roster construction, any onesie twosies, remarks with that idea yeah don't draft teams with like two quarterbacks three running backs where your three running backs is like Najee Harris Rashad Penny and then Naheem Hines and then have 10 wide receivers because that looks cool and then two tight ends build well-rounded rosters you can build for upside you can build for uniqueness within the structure oh man you're attacking me personally right now Hey, we all, this is why we're on here together because we're, we're not always going to agree, but we have, we bring out good points at each other. Yeah. So I, Naheem Hines is, uh, I want to talk about that, that you brought up because a guy like Naheem Hines or McKissick, these guys who their role cannot expand, even if there's an injury ahead of them, those are not the guys to target on three running back builds or four running back builds or hyper fragile builds. These are not the, the guys that you want to be targeting. The guys that you do want to be targeting are the guys that can absolutely blow the face off the league. Like Rashad Penny last year, where they match the offensive philosophy of the offense that they're on. And I talked about this in the last podcast where it's, or I guess I talked about this on, the Todd pod. So I, on the run to daylight pod with Todd on Sunday, the anatomy of the late round running back that I'm targeting. And it's this idea that I want, I'm targeting more the offense than the individual names. If on the specific running backs in the late rounds that I'm targeting, because I came to this realization that there are certain teams that we can bank on the backup or, you know, ambiguous backfields developing a world beating running back. You know, Rashad Penny is the example I used before because he was on the the million dollar winning lineup last year from, um, from Liam Murphy. These guys where they off untapped upside, should something happen to some other members on our team, guys that fit the mold that I, I covered on the Sunday podcast with Todd, for me, um, my probably my favorite now is Dearness Johnson because you can get him in the 20th round and mm-hmm. he and Kareem Hunt are on one-year deals or the last year of their deals. And there's all this rumblings of one of the Well, what happens to the guy that remains behind? Like what happens if Kareem Hunt gets dealt like mid-season and then like we can already pencil in Dearness Johnson for like, 35% of the running back opportunities. And then what happens if like Nick Chubb gets injured? Like that's a lot of like what ifs, but these are the guys that 
offer those what ifs, yeah. those profiles to take advantage of the what ifs more so than a guy like Naheem Hines, who is never going to be a guy that is f- the offense is centered around, right? He's going um, complimentary piece, a guy like JD McKissick, where like, he's never going to be what that offense in Washington is built around. He's going to be a complimentary piece. Well, a guy like, like to Ernest Johnson, like if things just happen to fall break in his favor, if cream hunt gets dealt, if Nick Chubb goes down, if, if something happens, he is a guy that is like the prototype to take advantage in that offense. Um, other guys I'm taking late. Um, those are really the big ones. Gus bus. Uh, I like him where he's going. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another piece of an ambiguous backfield, but like targeting, the offense and how we know running backs are used in the offense. Uh, I like that you brought up Naheem Hines specifically, and I wanted to expand on that a little bit. Uh, any- it's funny because he's one of my higher own players, but if you're exactly right. You have to have him in the right type of build. Yeah. I like yeah. Chris Evans lately because they're saying Joe Mixon won't be getting third down work, and he started playing a little more last year. I like yeah. Sony Michelle. The reason I don't have a lot of Chris Evans is his playoff schedule. Um, so even if like something happens to Joe Mixon, he's likely not as valuable as some of these other guys that we're talking about, just because Cincinnati's playoff schedule is fairly difficult for running backs, but obviously so much can happen and so much can change. Um, I have sprinkles of, of Evans, but not a ton. I grabbed him more in the super flexes, 20 runs, but I don't have a bunch in festival mania, but he's someone I'll take and like, I'm going to bind. I like Brian Robinson too, uh, from Washington. Ra- Rivera note loves to run multiple running backs and he doesn't miss tackle or miss blocks. He's a good running back or um, <clears throat> red zone running back. He's a big guy. I can see him having a role this year. Yeah. 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 I like it, man. Um, I guess the, the other one late, late round guy um, I didn't cover is Hassan Haskins. Again, ambiguous backfield, but with Dontrell Hilliard and, and the like three or four different running backs that kind of saw work last year um, when Derrick Henry got hurt is in my mind because they didn't have a running back that they didn't have to change their offense around because they it, he didn't. He wasn't similar to what Derrick Henry could do. I think that they solved that in Tennessee with the drafting of Hassan Haskins. Um, that's why I, you know, I'm looking at my exposure. I have about 17%. So double the field on a late guy like that uh, is something that I am more than comfortable doing. Um, obviously, we know how I stand on Melvin Gordon. We won't belabor that, but that's pretty much it for like these late guys who kind of fit the mold of or are their skill set aligns with what their team identity is. Uh, and those are the guys that I'm targeting this year. And that's again, just a, a high, high, low theoretical stance that I'm kind of taking this year. Cool, man. I dig that discussion. Uh, any closing remarks on like the anatomy of roster construction? Nope. I think we're hit a lot, a lot of it. Dig it, dude. News cycle in early draft window. This is something that like, <laughs> A random tweet from a beat writer or, you know, somebody that's covering a team will just influence early draft window ADP more than it should or 
um, I guess, influence how drafters are viewing specific players. Examples of that that we've seen over the past month and a half, you know, since this draft window opened for these major contests. Any instances of that that uh, that you're seeing or that you're trying to take advantage of early? Arlen Camaro. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about Camaro, dude. Oh, all in. What if he, he's going to most likely get suspended? But well, it could be like, we don't know. We don't yeah, know. but it's the NFL, right? Like Melvin Gordon was going to get suspended last year, and that happened to that. If he gets yeah, suspended, dude. it's probably going to be like next year. I even feel like so at the third round price. Like we were just talking about the if the price is right, any any amount of risk is worth it. Third round Camaro, you have a first round pick upside, and the thing is. Let's say he does get suspended the first six of the weeks of the year. That's kind of how I think when I build my teams. You can build your teams a way that can withstand six weeks. Yeah, dude. You know. So I'm taking that idea with these early news cycle reports. I'm taking those reports and I'm thinking about them through the lens of game theory and how can I maximize my upside relative to those reports. And Kamara is a perfect example because there's one, there's a precedent set with Roger Goodell and the NFL, how they handle civil proceedings. And Kamara, correct me if I'm wrong, but he is not being charged criminally. He is being charged with a civil lawsuit that is likely, you know, obviously is stemming from him kicking the shit out of somebody in a nightclub over Pro Bowl weekend. But like, he's being charged with a civil lawsuit because he beat the shit him and his friends beat the shit out of some dude in a nightclub. He is not being charged with anything criminal. So how is the, how has the NFL handled those situations where there's civil proceedings in the past? They have shown us that their precedent is they are going to wait until those proceedings are complete before levering any punishment. We saw it with Tyree kill. We saw it, you know, three years ago, we saw it, um, there's, there's umpteen examples of how they've handled these in the past. That being said, his initial court date for the civil hearing was pushed back from middle of June to the middle of August, which is obviously right in the middle of camp, starting up preseason, all that good stuff. It was already pushed once. There can be multiple why that was, but we know that it's already been pushed once. We know that there's this precedent in the NFL, Roger Goodell, not handling down, not handing down these punishments for civil cases until the proceedings have been complete. Well, when you start like adding up the pieces, like it, it's starting to me to get the sense that his falling ADP, his upside at that falling ADP far outweighs the potential for him even getting suspended this season. If that's the case, and if people that are now drafting third round Alvin Kamara are doing so from a conservative standpoint, we'll say, where they are like, oh, he still could get suspended for six weeks. I'm going to make sure that I get five running backs on any roster that I take Alvin Kamara. I'm like, well, what is the upside here? The upside is he doesn't get suspended at all. If that's the case, like he's not a waste, but on running backs or on rosters with five running backs, but you're limiting the upside of your other positions by taking five running backs on Alvin Kamara rosters. It's suspended. So like taking that, 
that thought process through like, how do I optimize through a game theoretical lens? I'm, I'm like forcing third round Alvin Kamara rosters where they're on rosters of three or four running backs right now, because it goes into this idea of disproportionate upside. Like third is his floor almost like it's only upside from there. If he plays a full season, even if he doesn't play a full season, he could still break third round upside, third round valuation. Like that's the crazy part about Alvin Kamara's price right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm trying to, when I look at these news cycles in the early draft window and I look at like how I can expect, we'll call it, expect the field to react to those news cycles, I immediately think about how I can leverage that reaction, whether it's a valid reaction, whether it's an overreaction, you know, it almost doesn't matter to me because I know that the draft window for these major contests is four months long. And we're only two months through that. So if I get exposure into what could be a player in his at his lowest ADP, and if I build my rosters with the most upside when I'm getting him at that lowest ADP, like that is just leverage on the field that the field is not taking advantage of. Uh, so that's kind of what how I am approaching these early news cycles. I am trying to think about how I can capitalize on them um, and then building rosters that kind of highlight the upside that is associated with that. Uh, any, I guess, closing remarks on that. Any other examples that you're seeing? Yeah. I like building like a zero RB teams, just starting with Camara and then just like not run, drafting another running back until like that penny zone. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one I really like to do. Um, another kind of just like, outlier falls Amari Cooper's price. I mean, he's what, like a sixth rounder now? Even with Jacoby Brisket was as a quarterback. Like <laughs> Brisket, I like that. Yeah, I don't understand why he's so low. I mean, this guy's still going to get 150 to 200 targets this year. 200? <laughs> no, I, I would, I'd say he, uh, he's, if he stays healthy, he can get 150 targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Totally. I mean, totally who else agree. is on that team? They have like <laughs> People's Jones, Schwartz, him, uh, Joku. So it's Joku, rough there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let's say like Watson gets suspended for eight games. Sixth round, you're getting to Amari Cooper. So yeah, there's there's been some interesting, I guess, early news <laughs> cycle surrounding Deshaun Watson as well. Like the the most recent you know, news to hit the street and the new hotness is, you know, his, his camp, his, his representation is, is probably, you know, if, if we're thinking about like how they would fight this, like he just sat out an entire year, right? Like he did it with pay, um, which amounts to about $30 million, but like there's a potential, like his camp is fighting for that to serve as a time served time already served. Right. Like if he like, says that's time serves served pays back $30 million to um, the organization, however they want to handle that. And then they say like, Oh, well you, we're going to suspend you for 25 games. Well, that would amount to half of this season. So like there's a chance that he is suspended the entire season. There's a chance that he isn't suspended still, you know, how, 
earmuffs if if you don't want to think about that but like there's a chance that he's not spent at all uh or there's a chance that he you know his his representation works out this like drug deal where he's only spent for half the season so if you're getting a guy a wide receiver one that is as talented as amari cooper in the sixth round it's almost akin to deandre hopkins where we know he's going to miss six games because like if his quarter half the season now you're getting this like prolific pass catcher clear wide receiver one who's likely to see like 150 160 targets you know which could push for like top three or four at the position you're getting him in the sixth round when his quarterback could be back uh for the second half of the season so yeah that's a guy um i'm glad you brought him up that offers this idea of like disproportionate upside based on the early news cycle um you take that one step further like deshaun watson like he was going in the like quarterback 13 range <laughs> early draft yeah. season. And now he's all the way down, like in round 17 uh, in the quarterback, like 25 range. So that's like a pretty steep drop off um, and an interesting guy to think about how you can capitalize on that situation. I like it. Anything else uh, new cycle in this early draft window? I got another good one that we can talk about mm-hmm. uh, my boy daryl williams mm-hmm. I, I like that you say your boy because he's my boy too dude yeah i know we like the same boys <laughs> dude, that sounded uh that sounded interesting <laughs> <laughs> sounded better in my head um, <laughs> but yeah basically like how it started he wasn't even being drafted then he gets signed he gets pumped up to like what the, like the 14 15 15th, 16th round. And I was expecting this to get to like the 11th, 10th, 12th round. James Conner has never made it a whole season. Yeah. So why is that? That is because an early draft window news came out saying, you know, Benjamin could be the, the RB2. Exactly. So now they're saying he's, I know Benjamin could be the RB2, but I know Benjamin didn't get any leash last year. He mm-hmm. wasn't that great. And then to make it even better i think the guy should be like a 10th to 12th rounder james connor's gonna miss time you're gonna get starts out of this guy he's like alexander madison mm-hmm. but, but like in a better situation almost because i mean the cardinals you can say what you want about them they are an explosive offense and they're going to score points and daryl williams catches the ball i am in 100 complete agreeance uh, i want to actually pull up my exposure real quick uh, okay. Yeah. Daryl Williams is my highest owned running back currently. Uh, you ready for this dude? 41%. Ooh. Yeah. I was up, I was up there at, at one point. I am, uh, I'm at 25 now, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's my highest owned running back. Yeah. He's a guy that I'm letting trickle down, uh, because I was taking him in the 15, 16 round, um, early draft cycle. Um, so he's a guy that I, I, I haven't taken as much recently. So that, that, that exposure was actually higher at one point, but, um, yeah, he's a guy that he fits like the marriage of kind of what we're talking about here in disproportionate upside versus news cycle. And, and that's kind of why we are talking about these two in conjunction because the, the field overreacts to news cycles. And when you think about the current news cycle we're in, it's freaking June, dude. Like we're getting the news that is coming out is beat reports based off of minicamp. I am not going to base my draft strategies 
and my player valuations off of news that is coming out based off beat reports coming out from minicamp. And that is just something that, you know, the hard knock life has (laughs) over the years is not to overreact to early news cycles like this. And yeah, I like that you brought up Daryl Williams um, because he gives you this, this upside profile versus where he's being drafted right now. And you put a perfect ride the waves. If you're hearing like bad news about someone and you know, it's just like something, (coughs) excuse me, like something minor or some, some coach speak or something like Mm -hmm. that, you know, start taking, let it, let that ADP fall before you buy back in, you know, or alternatively, if you're getting bad fluff, you know, and the player's starting to steam, or if you get good fluff and the player's starting to steam, let go. Don't don't chase that, you know, because yeah. especially if you're like well invested in a player, I mean, then you're just only hurting yourself. You might as well start to analyze and find what a better position is to move into. Who is that? That's Saquad's Barkley because he took his photo. <laughs> now, now he went from a third round pick to an early second. He's going at like the one two turn a lot, which is. Um, you have to realize like he might be worth that, but yeah. you're, you're competing against, you know, me who currently has, I have 12%. So I'm 1.5 X the field. And that's all in the third round. Like I didn't take a single second round Saquon. So like you're competing against how many, oh, I want to check how many teams have been drafted in the underdog. Um, there have been, Oh shit. It doesn't say, well, it looks, it's about, 15% full. So if you think Best about like mania is 21% full now. Okay. So 20, it's over 20% full. So if you think about 20% of every roster in play, a fifth of the rosters basically have exposure to third round Saquon Barkley. So I don't care. Like he is worth, <laughs> he is worth a one, two turn pick. It, it, you're you're basically you're fighting this uphill battle from the beginning if you're taking him now because like he's gotten the steam up to you know a full round in the first five rounds that's massive that's massive value that you're now sacrificing so if you don't have Saquon Barkley exposure I would highly recommend like not going overboard now not fighting this this wave that's going uh, because you're fighting against you know twenty percent of the field that has him in the third round. Uh, so yeah, new cycle can go both ways here. I dig it, dude. I agree with you there too. I've kind of stopped. Once Barkley gets up there, I'm going to start stop drafting. And there is one player I'm willing to break that for, and that's Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. I think Aaron Jones could be the number one pick next year. That's, dude, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you're speaking my love language right now, dude. Yeah, I I, I kind of regret not buying as much as I could in the third round because I actually I thought he might leave, and then. I, did, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but he's going to get so many more targets this year. This guy has a legit shot of being the number one pick next year. So he's one guy that I'm, even though like he had some third round, there have been a lot of third round Aaron Joneses. I'd be really going to ride that up until like the early first. Yeah, dude. Um, so I have 24% Aaron Jones and that was all third round. And I have, Jealous. I have stopped taking him since I was just loading up on him early. Um, and I, I'm, I'm only through 80 drafts and this is strictly the, the, uh, BBM on underdog. I'm through 80 drafts now. So I'm trying to figure out like how I want to play this, this draft window game. Like when do I want to finish those? Um, but yeah, it's, it's 
he was very one of my early targets for you know this idea of disproportionate upside versus where he's being drafted. Um, love it. He is he's currently my third highest owned running back. And I think there's a guy that we'll talk about here shortly that is right between Daryl Williams and Aaron Jones for me. Uh, dude, that I, I dig that discussion. We are going to finish this off with a quick discussion uh, or follow-on discussion on disproportionate upside. Um, you've heard it before. I've said his name before all the time. I'm saying it all over the place. But my second highest owned running back right between Daryl Williams and Aaron Jones is Chase Edmonds. Uh, in Miami, why is that ambiguous backfield? We don't know what's going to happen, but he's a guy that like, if you think about where his coaching staff tree, where they originated from, like it's this, this, the Shanahan tree where we know they utilize zone run concepts. We know that running backs are, um, not typically, like a full workhorse role, but they're like a tick right below workhorse, the lead back. Um, and then you start to look like his, he's getting paid like 5.75 mil yearly over the next two. Like the dude got targeted by the coaching staff, got the bag, got paid. And he's part of this ambiguous backfield that people are, are too scared right now of buying into. And I'm like, I want that variance. I'm going to soak it up. Like I'll take it all now. And then like, just wait and see, like I could not draft another chase Edmonds share and then end up double the field right now <laughs> because of what I've done, um, early draft window and kind of leveraging this idea of disproportionate upside. So that's, uh, my spiel is over. My rant is over on this idea of disproportionate upside. Any guys you're seeing, uh, over this first, you know, third, um, I guess part of the draft window, uh, for these large contests. Oh man. So there's a few guys. And if you give me one second, I'm trying to scroll through and find the specific guy. All right, I'm gonna do another one while you while you look. Brees Hall. That's a good one. Brees Hall, rookie running back on a Jets team who almost has to be better <laughs> obviously they're coming off of the gates experiment and all kinds of different experiments that went on in in new york um but their offensive line is improved uh they this breeze hall is like one of the most complete running backs to come out of the college game um you know at least top three over the last three years um a guy who like best case scenario is like Najee harris we don't know you know, how this coaching staff is going to utilize him. But, um, you know, 350 running back opportunities is not without uh, outside the realm of possibility for him. Low case, obviously, he's in a strict timeshare. Um, and obviously, that limits his upside. But um, now you start talking about, like, money round playoff schedule. Dude, oh, my God. He plays, like, Houston. Uh, he plays Jags. The Houston and Jags the past or the last two weeks of the season. Uh, so, that is something I want to buy into. All right. I got three for you. Let's go, dude. Number one, Rojo. Yeah. Okay. Rojo, baby. Clyde Edwards-Alaire Clyde Edwards does not get the ball in the red zone. Ronald Jones has a lot of deficiencies, but he can punch the ball in. Uh, high-powered offense, cheap price. They signed him instead of Daryl Williams. Love Rojo. He's got upside. Next guy. Damian Pierce. Okay. Marlon Mack. 
Rex Burkhead. That's it. That's like, and then Royce Freeman. That's the that's the backfield, right? Mm-hmm. They've already I've already seen Lovey come out with it and say they're going to ride Mac early, mm-hmm. and then set it up for Pierce to take over later. So you're not going to get much work out of Pierce. This is more of like a long game, but he's a rookie, pretty effective player in college. And he's on a team, you know, that drafted him with not much offensive talent. So he has the opportunity to, you know, if he can take the reins, guys can give you a huge jump in the end of the uh, regular season, you know, for the, for the playoff structure. Another person that I'm also thinking about is Isaiah Spiller. Okay. Chargers for years have been searching for that running back to, to compliment with Beckler. For some reason, they didn't re-sign Justin Jackson, even though he like beasted at the end of the year. I don't really understand what happened there. But they have he's at worst you're getting a one B player because Spiller will get work. And if he, you know, if Eckler gets hurt and he actually showed that he's an effective player, that's a you know, and he'd be a running back one on one of the best offenses in the NFL. There's nothing but upside with Spiller, especially in his price. He's like eleven to twelfth rounder, twelfth rounder probably. Yeah, dude, I dig it. I'm gonna. I'm going to take us home with my top five exposure at the wide receiver position. And the reason that this is my top five exposure currently is this idea of disproportionate upside, um, higher, wider range of outcomes versus where they are being drafted with a bias towards upside. Uh, and that's what I love. The first Adam Thielen, uh, was going in the seventh round for a good chunk of the draft season. Now he's down into the sixth, but that is still something, um, based on all the changes that we talked about earlier uh, that I want to be buying into. Uh, this is a guy that hasn't finished worse than wide receiver 15 in a points per game uh, since over the last three years. And that's, that's something that I want. Um, Devin Duvernay, you know, he's expected to be the wide receiver two in Baltimore on a prolific offense. We know that they're likely not going to be passing as much as last year, but a guy that I want exposure to there, Marvin Jones in Jacksonville, who was top three last year, in red zone target share. So that is a guy that I want exposure to in Jacksonville, Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo, a guy that is competing with a, an injury prone old wide receiver in Jamison Crowder for slot duties on a prolific offense, like one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL. Uh, and then the last one is a guy that I know we agree on and that's Will Fuller. Uh, still not on a team, but, um, that is a guy who like his range of outcomes is everything from like, does not play this year to like borderline wide receiver, one wide receiver, wide receiver, two numbers on a points per game basis. And so that is something that I want to take advantage of now, uh, before any other news, uh, pops on him. Uh, Those are some pretty good guys. I can give my top five as well because I'm actually drastically different. Yeah. So number one, we are over 35% on James Washington. We've seen what he can do on the Steelers. He's shown that he can be a boom player. Mm -hmm. Gallup is going to be out for the beginning of the year. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge believer in the Cowboys. Jack's one of my highest on quarterbacks. Cowboys offense has always been a good offense. Amari Cooper has left targets. So, I mean, Tolbert's a rookie, so it's not highly unlikely he's just going to come in and just become a wide receiver too, you know. It's very hard to do that. So I love James Washington. Kendrick Bourne, I don't really think I need to explain much there. I mean, he was dynamic mm-hmm. last year. He's a dynamic playmaker. Give him the ball in space. Belichick and I'm getting him in the 18th round. Like it's yeah. criminal. Uh, number three, Zay Jones. I agree 
with you on the fact that I think that the Jags are going to be better. I like Marvin Jones. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with drafting Marvin Jones. I just like Zay Jones's price. He's already been lining up as a wider, uh, as a starter, you know, in practices I've seen. And then he, um, they gave him a big contract. I mean, he's signed as a free agent. They don't like LaVisca Chenault. They've already banished him to like doing special team duty. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's returning punts. Oh man, that hurts for him. But like they, they needed another wide receiver. Christian Kirk in the end. So it's going to be what? Kirk and Salat. And then you have Jones and Jones on the outside. Like that's, that's pretty solid. And Doug Peterson's a competent coach. Just having a competent coach is just going to take T loss so yeah. far. Yeah. Uh, next up is I have Julio Jones, which same thing as Fuller. He's going to sign somewhere. He's going to be like a 10th, 12th round pick by the time he gets signed. And let's say he gets signed like the Packers. Wowzers. I would mm-hmm. be thrilled. Or like the Ravens. You know, someone someone's going to need a wide receiver soon. Uh, next is Christian Kirk. I, I mean, I just love his price. I think he's super underpriced for an easy, easy 150 targets. I mean, they mm-hmm. paid him money to get those targets. And then I'll just give you like the next couple. They're all the same amount uh drake london marquise brown tim patrick and russell gage and garrett wilson those guys are all like about 18 percent. love each guy tim patrick's probably going to be the wide receiver too in denver we all everyone in the entire industry loves gabe davis russell gage i mean the easiest buy all off season now he's Mm -hmm. come too high and then i love hollywood brown back with kyler Yep. There's a lot of targets open there. Even when Hopkins goes back, I think it's going to be fine. I mean, there's tons of targets in that offense, and he's a boom player, what you want for basketball. And Garrett Wilson, I think, is just going to walk. He, I think, will actually walk in and produce in the NFL. I like Wilson, and I like uh, I like Wilson for a couple of reasons. Obviously, one, we talked about the playoff schedule. Two is he his prototype the type of wide receiver that he is meshes very well with his quarterback zach wilson is this strong-armed gunslinger who is not afraid to to just let it release uh so i like that um he's a guy that i came around on rather late but i've been trying to increase exposure here uh, recently the other thing big takeaway that from hearing yours and mine is like don't be afraid of the jags this year Uh, I'm, i'm pretty i'm pretty high on that offense as well um I think that T-Law is, you know, obviously he was like one of the most highly regarded quarterback prospects to come out of college game, um, you know, in the last five years. So that's something that I want exposure to as well. I dig it, dude. Um, the last thing that we're going to do, and I'm going to just kind of take us out here because um, we are coming right up on our timeline. Actually, we're past we're at about an hour and 10 minutes, uh, but it's the idea of secondary stacks. Um this is something, <clears throat> excuse me. This is something that I think the field is not paying enough attention to. And this is uh, the idea of secondary stacks and secondary correlations. And why do I say that is the new hotness around uh, the best ball scene is week 17 correlations. And, and for good reason, I have kind of shit on this idea a little bit um, publicly and I don't want listeners to think that it's not important because it is. But at some point when everybody is so hyper-focused on one thing, there is merit to exploring other options. I have taken that and explained that as not reaching for stacks and correlations in the money rounds of a draft, the first seven rounds. I've explained that as 
the field is so hyper-focused on week 16 and 17 correlations and and primarily 17, not even week 16, but like these late uh, money round correlations because we know what that does to variance from our DFS knowledge. And we know like what that does to lowering the amount of things that have to go right on your roster to profit the most when things do go right. But what the field I think is doing is they're neglecting these secondary stacks. And we think about like leverage from a DFS perspective and what are we trying to do if like, what is a way to gain leverage on the field? If like a primary stack for the highest owned, you know, quarterback wide receiver pairing. Well, one of the ways, as opposed to like just completely fading that offense is like, getting our exposure through the run game or getting our exposure through the secondary pass catcher. Um, and if you take that idea and marry DFS thinking with best ball, like we have no idea what's going to happen in week 17, six months from now, but we do know like what the most likely games to provide an environment for success and if the field is is solely or hyper focused on like the primary stacks from those games, a way that I see as an easy, easy leverage spot or a way to gain leverage on the field is to explore secondary stacks in some of those games. Um, I'll give a quick example. Um, Dallas is such a huge stacking offense. The primary you know trio of Dak Prescott, Ceedee Lamb, and Dalton Schultz. Um, you brought up a guy earlier in James Washington. I love Tolbert because, um, one, Michael Gallup is out. So he's likely to see more playing time earlier in the season than a standard rookie would Two, he is tied to Dallas. And then three, if you think about like who they play week 17, it's Tennessee Titans and majority of the focus out of the Titans is on the first round running back from that team in Derrick Henry. Traylon Burks has been slipping. Robert Woods is available in like the 10th, 11th round. Um, and I'm not really exploring the tight ends there, but those two are likely to be the two primary wide receivers on that team. Again, back to the news cycle, Nick Westbrook Akine is like supposed to be the wide receiver one on that team to start the year. I don't buy it, dude. Like, I want Traylon Burks. I want Robert Woods, but exploring these secondary options. Another example that I'll give is Jacksonville and Houston. They play week 17. That game stack correlation is starting to gain steam. Whereas it wasn't earlier in the season where you could just like load up on ETN and cooks and be like, bam, call it a day. But like now you, we, we covered all the reasons to like Jacksonville. Um, you have Christian Kirk, you have Marvin Jones, um, the backfield, uh, with ETN. And then like you look at Houston and there's these guys who offer like both disproportionate upside and, you know, an easy secondary correlation for that game. Like Nico Collins is kind of being left for dead in the 18th round. Mm -hmm. Um, you have these guys who like, you know, he's entering his second year. They drafted, uh, Mechie, um, who is, you know, coming off a major injury, Um, and we don't know, like that's an ambiguous, like pass catching core. So I'm taking Mechie in the 17th. I'm taking, uh, Nico Collins in the 18th as uh, on these teams where I'm, I'm targeting that week 17 correlation, uh, any parting shots, dude, I think that is pretty, 
much a wrap for us. Uh, parting shots with that last idea that we talked about, about secondary stacks. Yeah. A couple things. I mean, I don't go out and try to like get week 17 stacks. Like you said, we don't know who's going to even be good. We don't know who's going to be injured, but I mean, I'll do it. I mean, like if it comes down to like a tiebreaker between two players, first thing I'll look at is like the ownership I have. And then now that, that could be a tiebreaker. I mean, you don't want to like shy away from it, but then like you said, you, you don't want to be just like the field. If like 30, percent of the field is all stacking that one week kind of makes sense for you to shy away from that strategy and yeah secondary sex is the best way to get exposure to a team if you like miss the quarterback like some people get so does it stated if someone just like snipes that quarterback around early i'm doesn't even make them mad it's, you just ruined your team right so yeah you can oh, still dude. you can still take all the wide receivers on the team and get that exposure to that team you haven't really like screwed yourself you know another one that i love that i i, I would be remiss not to mention is uh van Jess, jefferson joshua palmer like mm. they're both like part of this like uber like the penultimate week 17 game the another one is like casey denver but like the the chargers rams game week 17 uh is one of like from a from a sample size of one week like that is one of the best games to be to looking at target like it's such a juicy game yeah everybody who takes cooper cup is looking to get like mike williams or keenan uh in at the two three turn so like if everybody is so hyper focused on that aspect of that game stack or correlation like there's so many different ways to get exposure to that game like take uh like cam acres in the fifth or sixth and then get like uh joshua palmer late or like van jefferson and josh palmer or like like so many different ways to get these secondary correlations where you're not um fighting as much of the field all right man that was a money episode dude it was good to have you back yeah man i love talking about this stuff Yes, sir. We are, we're going to call that a wrap for the third installment. This is, uh, you're going to be listening to this on Friday morning. Typically they go live at 9 a.m. That should be the standard going, taking us all the way through uh, off season into the start of the NFL season. We've got you covered here at OWS for high level best ball thought and discussions. We are going to continue to uh, get new and exciting and uh, high level fingers uh, for this pod. Pavel, I am definitely, we're going to have you back because this discussion was amazing. That is going to do it. And we will see you in the draft lobbies. OWS fam. Peace.